I have personally faced the unique challenges of living with arthritis while pursuing a career in STEM. As a student with a disability, balancing academics and health management can literally be an uphill battle. And that's why I'm so excited to introduce the STEM Without Limits Take a Pain Jack Scholarship. Are you or someone you know living with a diagnosis of a rheumatic disease? We're so excited to offer two scholarships, each valued at $2,500, to full-time students who are currently on their educational journey at a Canadian university, college, or those enrolled at trade school programs as undergraduate or graduate students. Students. We're on the lookout for individuals who have triumphed over their adversities, proving that living with a disability doesn't limit their dreams and aspirations. If this opportunity speaks to your journey, don't miss the chance to submit your application before the deadline on January 30th, 2024. Your path to success in STEM is not defined by health challenges, and we're here to provide support and encouragement every step of the way. Applications can be submitted in French and English. And to learn more, visit the link in our description today. Back to the episode. The views and opinions expressed by guests on this podcast do not represent or reflect the official policy or position of the Take a Paycheck Foundation and podcast. All information shared is from personal experiences and does not constitute medical advice. We do not take responsibility for any statements expressed during the podcast. Take a Paycheck does not endorse any products or services. Any said products or services mentioned on this podcast may not be suitable for you or your condition. Please consult with your physician if you have medical questions, as it may pertain to your condition. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to this week's episode on Take a Pain Check. I'm so excited to have Kyle joining me today. Hi, Kyle. Can you give me a brief introduction about yourself? Tell me a little bit about your education, your hobbies, what you've been up to recently. Hi. Well, firstly, thank you for having me on. Um, So I'm currently in college, which is 11th grade for the American viewers. Um, And... Yeah, I'm studying drama, psychology and English because drama is a big passion of mine. I love acting and then I hopefully want to go into teaching when I'm older. So that's got the English and the psychology in there. Um, I also enjoy cooking as well. I'd like to cook in my free time, especially for my friends, you know, get them over, get them trying <laughs> my food. It's good. It's nice. So, yeah. I feel like a lot of people would want you as their friend because you're cooking for them. <laughs> so, <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> what have you been recently cooking? Well, today we had some peri-peri chicken. I did like some beans and a creamy sauce and some chips on the side. My signature dish is crisp crumbed chicken. So you just get like crisps from the shop. You bang them with a rolling pin and then you coat the chicken in them. And then it's like already seasoned. Like it's perfect. Like it makes sense. It's so good. Then you serve it alongside a nice risotto. So, you know, um, I've I've been in a few competitions as well, actually. So, oh, okay, um, that's so interesting. <laughs> well, we will talk about that and how your arthritis might affect that. But you're on this podcast because you have a rheumatic disease. So, what is your diagnosis, and do you have any other chronic illnesses? Yeah, so I've got JIA, which is juvenile idiopathic arthritis, um, and so it's obviously basically arthritis for so those under the age of sixteen. And that's a psoriatic subtype. So I have psoriasis as well. That's what triggered my arthritis. In terms of the joints that are impacted, what symptoms do you experience with these conditions? Well, with JIA, um, my fingers swell up and it's obviously sometimes hard to write because it hurts my wrist as well. Uh, My knees, I actually had a swollen knee at one point, but even still my knees hurt. And then my back and my neck get quite stiff as well. And then I've also got it in my jaw oh, and wow. then with 
with psoriasis that flares up all the time and i get it all over you know i get it on my head on my chest my back my legs basically anywhere you can imagine so, so it's like burning and painful yeah it's awful but how have you learned to live with it so like what medications are you on do you have any lifestyle management changes how do you navigate your day-to-day life living with conditions like these yeah, so my main medication, I suppose, was methotrexate, which is an injection, and it just reduces the immune system because obviously both arthritis and psoriasis are immunoconditioned, so it just completely gets rid of my immune system. But I've been taken off that, and I've been put on um, biologics, so it's a biologic injection alongside these other tablets. And so, yeah, that kind of, the methotrexate did help, but then it's been getting bad again. And so for the psoriasis, I've got loads and loads of different creams. I've got I've got a whole shelf of different creams. I'm just like, yeah, I'll put a bit of that on. And uh, in terms of my lifestyle, you know, like I have had to sacrifice like a lot of things like going out. And like I've had to make a decision. Do I want to go out or do I want to stay in and like, take my methotrexate injection, for example? And so it has been hard, but slowly I've been able to get through it. And I think just talking about it has helped me get to grips with it a bit better yeah okay so talking about it so does that mean just like telling more people about arthritis or being more comfortable explaining what it is can you give a little bit more details about what that means yeah so i mean just telling my friends about it you know having to catch up my friends is always nice but then also you know like i make tiktoks and tell spread awareness you know anyone i really meet i end up telling them about it um not to like make it my whole personality but obviously it is good to like tell people about it and it yeah, does help me. for sure. And that way you can get accommodations or get what you need because of your condition. So how did you tell your friends that you had arthritis? Well, I mean, they'd, they'd always said that I had some sort of condition before because even for ages, I had all sorts of symptoms. That I was always falling over or limping. And they're like, oh, what's wrong with you, Kyle? And I was like, I don't know. And then in the end, I just, I got the diagnosis in September last year. And I just went to school and I was like, well, you guys were right, because actually I do have arthritis. And they were like, what? You can't have arthritis. You're not old. I was like, yeah, well, apparently young people can get it as well. I was just as shocked as them. You know, like, I had no idea about the condition. You know, I knew just as much as they did at that point. But immediately they were, you know, comforting to me, like supporting me. Like, you know, they gave me their concrete support. That's great. And you sort of mentioned that you were kind of at the same level of knowledge as your friends in terms of arthritis. Yeah. But at that point, you couldn't even really explain what it was because you had no idea and they had no idea. So it was yeah. like sort of navigating this journey together. How did you learn about arthritis? Like, obviously your doctor was like, Kyle, you have arthritis. <laughs> but did your doctor say what this arthritis means for the rest of your life? What does your the rest of your life look like? What does your day-to-day life look like? Where did you get your arthritis education from? Well, yeah, obviously the doctor gave a brief rundown, but um, because it was at the hospital, so they gave me like a huge pack of different things, you know, things to give to the school, things to give to your friends, things for me to read, and that kind of just broke it down. And then obviously I was doing loads of Googling symptoms, although probably not the best of ideas, because, you know, (laughs) there was some false, false, there was some false information about it on there. But then also just like, um, obviously uh missions like yourself like take a pain check and also jar which is juvenile arthritis research which is another good company 
charity and yeah it was just loads of different things tiktok youtube instagram and i just did my best to actually know what was wrong with me essentially so i knew how to best accommodate that and let others know how to that sounds so great i feel like everyone wants to reach that point where they're able to want to learn about it because for me like i also have jia but i didn't want to learn about it i was like that's my parents job and you're 16 and i was when were you when were you diagnosed like what age i was 15. oh so this is so recent wow you are very you're a very confident person and really wanting to learn more about your arthritis because when i was diagnosed at 13 i thought it was my parents job not my job I was like, no, no, I don't want to learn about it. And it was only until I was, I think, 16 or 17 where I was thinking, okay, I'm going to be living with this. They're not. So I need to learn about it. But for me, like 15, 16 and just getting diagnosed and then trying to learn about it and educating other people, that's amazing. And I'm so proud of you because it's a really hard thing to do and put yourself out there on social media to talk about it. And I only did that when I was 18. So five years later, and I was still hesitant. I was like, I don't want people to look at me and look at me having arthritis and think of me in different ways. So did you have any hesitancy before you started putting yourself on social media and raising awareness for it? Did you care about what people thought, like your friends and people around you? I mean, obviously, there's always that part where you think, oh, what are people going to think? But it's already gotten to the point where like people could tell there was something wrong with me and i'd rather just them have an explanation other than like them thinking this is some sort of like mutant disease so um it was important to do that and also i just think you know like you've just got to embrace it like there's no point trying to run away from it you know i've obviously got it and i just need to try and manage it best i can and just be able to face it and living with these conditions also means that, you know, you get on medications, but you also incorporate some lifestyle changes. So did you ever go to like physiotherapy, occupational therapy? I don't know, do any sort of like exercise or changing what you eat to help with your condition? Yeah, well, I was originally going to the physio and that's actually, it was the physio who realized that my knee was like massively swollen and wanted me to get tested for arthritis. But um, yeah, no, I suppose, you know, you've got to be careful of what you're eating because diet can affect it sort of. Uh, with psoriasis, stress is a really big trigger for it. So I've got to just try and stay nice and calm and relaxed all the time. And yeah, I, I did see the physio a couple of times after that. But then I stopped going to them because the rheumatologist kind of took over in that sense. When you were diagnosed or before you were getting diagnosed, did your parents say hey kyle let's go to the doctor what was the process of you actually going to a doctor what symptoms led you to see to seek help from a healthcare professional well it was like april in 2021 my fingers started just to swell up and get red and i went to the doctors they said oh it's probably an infection a rash or something and so they just sent me away and then a couple of weeks later it happened again and then it went down and then Again, a few weeks later, it happened again. Went to the doctor. They said, oh, we'll do some blood tests for arthritis. And they said, oh, it's not arthritis. So I came back two months later and it was still happening. And I was like, what do you want to do? And they're like, oh, it could be chillblains. And they gave me like this one cream and it didn't work. And so that just went on for about a year, this constant battle of trying to seek doctor's help. 
And then it was April last year that I started feeling it in my knees, just like bending down. So I saw a doctor again. I did blood tests and said, oh, no, it's not arthritis. You're fine. And I, I was really relieved to hear that. And then it was in September because I used to do a paper round job, obviously delivering newspapers to people. And I woke up and I just couldn't walk. My leg was so swollen. So that morning I literally had to go around with my dad in his car, like delivering the papers, like driving up to the houses. And then I was just like, I can't do this. I can't walk. And then I was already seeing the physio because I already had some pains in like my back and they just said it was tight muscles. They said I was the tightest boy in the world, as she described me. <laughs> so I know, all my all my friends were quite alarmed by that as well. And then she just I was like, Oh yeah, my knee's been really hurting by the way, and she just rolled it up and she was like, You do realise that's like triple the normal size? And I was like, Oh, I hadn't noticed. It's so about a month I'd gone by without even realising my knee was really swollen. And then she just pushed for me to see a rheumatologist as quick as possible and he was like yeah that's definitely JIA. A lot of people don't know what arthritis looks like because they've never been heard about it so like you thought that the swollen knee was normal <laughs> you didn't think anything about it because you had never seen anyone else like that or never known that this is classified as I need to go see the doctor so it's like I wish there were something that could kind of help guide us to know when to see the doctor because it's hard if you're with a swollen knee for one month, like it could have been prevented very easily or the swelling would have gone down if you went to a doctor before, got medications, but it didn't happen. And so, I don't know, it's just interesting that you bring that up that you had no idea, but I'm glad that you went to the doctor. So was your medication journey methotrexate and then biologics? Did you have other medicines that you were on? Yeah, so I was on methotrexate from November until literally like Saturday just gone. I'm starting biologics next week but there was um so for my psoriasis there was a cream called Enstiller which is like a steroid cream and it's just like a foamy cream that you spray on and there was also I had to take folic acid to help protect my stomach there was naproxen which is like an NSAID so it's a painkiller which obviously helps inflammation and with that I had to take Lansprazole to protect the stomach there was also a steroid drug called prednisolone or oh, sorry I could, I could probably butchered that pronunciation prednisone prednisone yeah yeah something like that yeah and um, so i took that for a couple months and it was just gradually decreased the dose uh, that one was a hard one though because it just it gave me such big mood swings and also like made me just want to eat loads like i generally would never feel empty and so then i ended up putting on weight and i was like oh my gosh so but that only lasted a month so i was off that eventually but yeah i was on it too i remember because i was in someone's house there was a big bowl of like food and then my mom was like so embarrassed because i like <laughs> ate most of it and she was like how could you have done that and i was like i think this is like a side effect from the medication <laughs> and, like ate a whole bowl so yeah i think that's like very relatable to a lot of people you have jia and you have psoriasis how do you kind of differentiate the pain i think for me when i look at it i think of okay like the burning and like this rashes and all that is psoriasis and the joint pain as jia but is that true are there like misconceptions about that well 
a lot of people you know would say oh it's the same sort of pain but also with psoriasis it's just so itchy like it just makes me want to feel like i want to just peel my skin off like it's actually and it almost is burning like you said and so that can be really bad and then with the jia it's kind of like this tingling but sharp feeling in the joints and it's like almost again it kind of sometimes feels burning just because of the heat it gives off but yeah it's it, i would say it's quite sharp and i was sometimes it can be dull though like especially in my neck just like even just sitting here you know i can feel it like just want to lay my head back and like relax because it's just so sore to even lift it up it's just very dull and it's kind of just always there yeah, I mean, you're able to differentiate it, which is great too. Because you have two conditions, do you see more than one specialist? Is it just a rheumatologist or other specialists? Yeah, so I see the rheumatologist and then also the dermatologist. Although I had an appointment on Monday and that was a joint one with both the rheumatologist and dermatologist. So it's kind of like a joint one for them to both see, you know, How's the methotrexate working? Do we need to change this medication? And obviously they did. They put me on biologics. Although sometimes they've got like a couple other dermatologists and a couple other rheumatologists and then some like medical students. And there's like a whole group of people just what? watching me. It's like, it's, <laughs> it can feel quite intimidating sometimes. I'm like, oh, hello. That's so interesting. I didn't know that. So how do your dermatologists and rheumatologists collaborate? Well, so I normally, it's normally a meeting every three or four months with each of them. And then obviously sometimes the combined ones and they just, obviously the dermatologist takes a look first. He just checks over my skin and then he sits aside, he waits. And then the derm, the rheumatologist comes over and has a look. And then they sort of have a discussion out to the side whilst I'm obviously like, you know, putting me top back on on that. And they're like, oh dear, not looking very good for him. Because I can sort of eavesdrop on them and they're just like saying all these really long, fancy words. And I'm like, what are they talking about? Am I going to live? You know, like, I was, it can be a bit worrying. But, and then they often have meetings as well. Like they have meetings of all sorts of people um, each week. He's like, yep, I'll let them know at the meeting this week. And I'm like, okay, fabulous, thanks. So, yeah, I mean, they have loads of meetings. It's not just with rheumatologists and dermatologists. Like, I've, because I'm still... Well, I'm 16 now, so I'm sort of classed as an adult in like English hospitals. And so I'm at that transitioning phase where they've got to trans transition me from the children's clinic to the adults' clinics. And so obviously then my rheumatologist and dermatologist would change. So they've sort of like got to make me meet the new people, you know, the adult ones, the boring ones. But yeah. So, okay, that's interesting. So have you been in a conversation where it's been like four of them or... How does, you've already met your adult healthcare providers, but have you, when is, when are you like fully transitioned? I think the transition one, it was meant to be next week, but obviously because I only got seen last week, they thought, no, that's too soon. So they're seeing me in March. Okay. And you're going to be like fully taken out of pediatrics, put into adult care by then? I think so. Yeah. You're 16. Is that normal in the UK? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, well, your class is an adult as soon as you're 16, but it's weird because they call you an adult, but yet they still want like my mum to come to some of the appointments. I'm like, am I an adult or not? And one time I went to the ENT clinic because I used to get a lot of nosebleeds, uh, pro probably from the methotrexate, and so they had to like cauterize my nose with like nitrogen something. And then like, I went up, and they were like, "Oh, you need a parent with you," and I'm like, 
you say I'm an adult, do I need a parent? Do I not need a parent? So it's it is very confusing at this point in time. But Yeah. I mean that's yeah. what I was also like, are you an adult? Because here at least it's like 18, but you start to learn about transition since you're 14, but that's only if you're in transition clinics, which in Canada we have like specialized clinics for it. But not everyone goes to those clinics. So I only learned about transition or was told I was going to transition when I was 19. <laughs> so now I'm 20 now. So it's it's interesting to see that across the world it works completely different. And we're at different levels of when are we an adult? When are we a kid? When are we transitioning healthcare? What that looks like. So well, I hope your transition goes well. <laughs> I've heard some positive and negative stories. Hopefully it's positive. And it sounds like you're very independent and you're taking care of your own health. Do you have any siblings? I guess, how do they support you? I think it also depends on their age. They're both younger, so not a lot really. They don't really help me at all. Um, so do they I've know got... about it? Do they know about, do your siblings know about your arthritis? Vaguely. I mean, we have told them, but then I was just going downstairs for like literally an hour ago to say to my family, oh yeah, I've got this podcast to take a pain check. And my brother goes, what's J-A-G-B-B-da-da-da? And I was like, J-I-A? I told you about it before. I mean, he's only, I think, yeah, he's seven. So obviously he shouldn't know, but he's also been having some problems with like his back and neck. So now my mum thinks he might also have it. Oh so, no. And obviously because psoriasis it's like basically for each for me and my brothers it's a one in two chance because my dad has got it and so it's genetic so it's basically a one in two chance of us getting it so I got that and so both my brothers are at risk of getting psoriasis as well so it's probably best that I've got it first so like my parents are both educated on it so they can best help it if they did get any of those conditions. Okay interesting point of view because we talked to like one of our Take a Pinch of Ambassadors who was on the podcast a couple of weeks ago. It's from Australia and she has psoriatic arthritis and her siblings also have it. And her perspective was like she felt like she was sort of like trial and error before they got it. So she was kind of like, although they are more prepared, she felt like, why did she have to go through everything first? And it's interesting in your perspective where you're like, I feel like it's good that I have a first step. If my siblings do get it, my parents can better understand how to navigate that process. So I think a sibling perspective is also very interesting. And like when you have siblings in the picture, what that looks like, hopefully they don't get it. Fingers crossed. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, when genetics is genetics and can't really do much about that. You also had your knee drained. Can you talk a little bit about your experience? So yeah, that was almost, I think that was only like two weeks after I first met the rheumatologist, which was really quick because, you know, some people be waiting ages, but because it was just so big and so painful, they had to do it quite quickly. And so I got to one of the day clinics at about 10 in the morning and I met with like, because obviously I was 15 at the time, so I still had to meet like one of the children's people and they just kind of went through it. They're like, I'll be here when you're going through it to help you. And because I was also under laughing gas, um, nitrous oxide, so they had to they had to explain, you know, like, don't take too many breaths, don't take too many little. They had to explain how that worked. And then they put numbing cream on my knee. And they also put some on my fingers because they weren't sure whether or not to do it. But in the end, they said, no, let's not do it. So they put numbing cream on my knee. 
and that was just burning it burnt and then we went in they wheeled me in on the bed and I got on the laughing gas and generally I didn't even realize he had done it like I was I got so like high off of the um of the laughing gas I just I, I was in my own little world you know I didn't even realize he had done it so he essentially just got this now it was a relatively large needle but like the the other doctors are kind of like just look at me don't look at the needle and then they just pull out all this excess fluid and then he pumped in some steroids some sort of steroid back into the knee to obviously prevent it from happening further and then yeah about an hour after that they let me go and I couldn't I wasn't allowed to walk for like 48 hours so I literally just laid them in my bed doing nothing I was like yippee no school I could do what I want so it was a good time and yeah then I was fine and obviously I still do get pain there but I can walk it's not swollen so yeah I mean, it's you're so young and you've gotten through that, which is great to hear that you're so confident about it um, and you didn't have to go to school. I think for me, though, I when I was in grade eight, I was sad that I didn't go to school. I was like, oh, my God. And I was sad that I couldn't do some of those things. But I think that case by case depends on the person. Yeah, I was very sad because I really like school. So in your school environment, are your teachers professors like are they supportive do you have accommodations at school how does it work yeah so obviously in September I moved from like what it's called secondary school and I went to college so I mean secondary school a lot of the teachers were supportive my English teacher she was like so amazing like she got me some pillows that I could put on my chair during the lesson like she was actually so sweet to make sure that I was comfortable enough and you know the teachers were kind of like made aware about it so you know if I had to step out the room to go put some cream on like then I could do that although one time I've got a bit of a story right um because the end still are it's like you spray it and I was spraying it on in the toilets and it set off the fire alarm so like that was quite that was quite an experience I was like oh my gosh I've just set off the fire alarm with my cream but the teacher was really calm with it so it was all good in the end and now I'm in college, I've been put on a, it's called a fitness report because my attendance is like 70%, which is like really, really low, obviously. And so I've been put on a fitness report and I just have meetings with my form tutor every three weeks. And she just set, checks in on how I'm doing, you know, if, is there anything that the college can help to, you know, obviously get me in school a bit more. And I'm like, I mean, if you can take this illness away from me, that would be great. But also for exams, I'm a, I get extra time. To write than other people and I'm also allowed to type my exams rather than handwriting because obviously I get stiffness in my hand and like my wrist and my fingers so that does really help as well so there has been a lot of support from both schools and teachers everywhere really. That's great that you're able to navigate like accommodations and get what you need. I have very similar things like extra time or typing and like being in a separate room things like that. And because you've been diagnosed for such a little, like, little amount of time, in a way, it might feel like you've been diagnosed forever, to be honest, <laughs> when you're diagnosed with it. I can't even ask you, like, what was it like a couple years ago <laughs> or moving forward, but you'll see, I think, as you grow older, how those accommodations change. Like, for me, high school versus university versus elementary school that's what we call it here i don't know what we call it there like it's all very different in terms of what i needed and it's all changed so i think throughout your journey you'll also see different things too which 
will be a learning process. <laughs> but there's a huge social component to having a rheumatic disease. And a lot of people with rheumatic diseases face bullying or discrimination. Have you ever faced that before? Yeah, quite a lot, I would say. You know, like there was, even before I was diagnosed with both psoriasis and GIA, there was this group of friends who probably weren't even friends, and they came up with the very, I'll give it to them, very inventive name of Rickety Rick that they decided to call me because they're like, he's got something wrong with him. And then there was quite a few of them who used to make fun of the fact I was on methotrexate. You know, they'd just go around shouting, well, my other nickname was Trexate. Um, so, and they. What type of nick? Why are people making nicknames out of I don't know. It's it's awful. I mean, they found it funny. They thought it was funny, but I'm like, you're not the one who has to stab Tra- your leg every week, you know? Yeah. Getting... Oh my gosh. Why are people saying this? I don't know, you know, and I was feeling sick for ages. Like, it's horrible. But, and then there's also the people who are like, ah, oh, you know, just stop scratching. It's not that hard. Or there were the people because, like, I get it so bad in my head. And so I was just be scratching away and people were like, oh, you don't wash your hair. You've got dandruff. And I'm like, no, that's different. So it's there's those sort of, one time this girl actually almost hit me because I, was like, I told her, oh, I've got arthritis. And she was like, no, you don't. My mum's got that. You haven't. You're too young for that. And she was generally like getting so like frustrated with me. I was like, no, I do. And she's like, no, you don't. You're making fun of my mum. And I was like, what? Okay. Oh. <laughs> it was so like, there's been some pretty interesting experiences with it. And how do you navigate comments like those? Because I know in grade eight myself, I did get bullied. There were comments about my swollen fingers, not so appropriate. Um, but it did happen that I was getting called out, called lazy, different things like, oh, you're so lucky that you don't get to do gym class, things like that. Mm. How do you navigate those comments? Well, I but I basically end up educating anyone who says something like that. I'm like, well, let's just go through what I've been through and how that might feel for you. And I mean, often I'll just walk off. You know, sometimes I might have a shout at them. Um, but I mean, it, it completely depends on how I'm feeling because obviously my mood's changing all the time with all these different things going on. You know, whether it's a bad day, I might just get really angry at them. Or if it's a good day, I'll just start explaining to them why they're wrong, essentially, why their opinion isn't valid. Yeah, I think you really need to have that resilience. And I think just stay strong. Because for me, I didn't really know what to say to those comments. I think because I was just diagnosed off the bat that year, which is completely different for you because you were in the same situation, but you're just way more confident, probably because you're a little bit older. I just did not know what to reply to those people with. So I just kind of ignored it. And didn't do anything. I mean, if that were to happen now, I'd definitely say something about it. But I think when you live with the condition for long enough, you realize how to navigate that. For you, it's a bit different, just because you've already you were already like a confident person and want you want to educate people and raise awareness. It's different for every single person. But I guess then you also mentioned at the beginning of the episode that you had very good friends that support you. So how did this support system kind of come into your life? Well, I mean, there's loads of people just around my school, like people I haven't even like ever really spoken to. And I would post, I'd post a couple of TikToks and they'd said like, some people started like generally like crying because like they didn't realize like how much I'd been through. Like I'd post these like TikToks and they're, send me like a picture of them crying being like 
Kyle, I'm so sorry. I didn't realize what you were going through. And there's always those people who like check up in on, on me like every few weeks. They're like, oh, your skin looks much better. How are your joints? You know, you've got any flare ups. And it is just people checking in on like that, which does, it does help, you know, it does help to know that there are people caring for you and you're not just facing this on your own. When you have support, it's not just friend support, but also family support. And I'm wondering how did your family support you and what did they do to accommodate you? Well, I mean, my mum's always missed like so many days off work just to come to hospital appointments with me. So like she's always, you know, missing out on loads of money just to make sure I'm supported. And she always do her best to help me out, you know, like maybe if I just had some sort of like you know a quite intense treatment you know she'll take me to the shop get me a few bits and then my dad he will always be picking me up from places because I just like if my knees are really hurting on my back I just won't be able to cycle back home like from college for example so he'll just come and pick me up so it is good to have them there and then my mum's always you know trying to find out more trying to help trying to make sure I'm managing well and like all my medications are managing well on my body. Family support is so important because at the end of the day they'll be there for you hopefully. <laughs> and not the case for everyone I guess but I'm glad that it is for both of us. We talked about how your diagnosis impacted your school life but when did you really learn how to advocate for yourself and then I guess now you're already starting to advocate for others through social media but what was that advocacy journey like for you? Yeah, so obviously at the time I was first a bit sceptical of telling people just the first few days. I still had to, to, like, I mean, you know, for the first week or so, I didn't even really believe it. So I had to tell myself that I actually had this. And then I did a bit of research and I was like, right, I need people to understand why I might not be able to go out, for example. And so first I just told my friends, like, why I was acting this way, why I couldn't do certain things and how these things affected me, how my medication worked. And then I just started questioning, like, you know, like, why has this happened to me of all people? And I kind of saw it as, like, I'm, like, it's, I've got this to be able to raise awareness and be able to tell people about it. And so I think that's, that's how I view it. Like, I'm a quite a strong-willed person, you know, I'm quite determined. So I kind of use it almost as a superpower to, you know, spread awareness, help other people and advocate for that. And so then I started going on TikTok, posting things like my story and like, you know, like my medications that I use. I am planning on using it a lot more to spread awareness now. You know, I've already got loads of different like TikTok videos that ready to post and stuff. So I'm quite looking forward to it almost like being able to. I mean, it's good to be able to raise awareness to other people so other people know like people without it. But then to be able to offer advice or support or just you know, someone to relate to, to somebody else suffering with GIA, that would be, you know, I think that made me really happy just to be able to help other people. I feel the exact same way. I think at first, though, I did not want to talk about it on social media because I was like, what are people going to think about me? But I've grown from that and I realized that at the end of the day, like, this is who I am, this is what I have. If you have a problem, then I guess, like, don't be in my life or <laughs> just, yeah, I think when you're younger, you and you go through all these experiences and you realize what you need in your life or you don't need your life how to navigate your life properly with this condition we talked about health and living with arthritis but what is the healthcare system like in england private public insurance i don't know do you know any details what does it look like for you yeah so obviously all healthcare is free 
uh, which is a really good thing. So we are under public health care, the NHS, the National Health Service, which was started, I think, after the war, potentially, one of the world wars. And it just aimed to give everybody free health care, because obviously, you know, health is one of your number one priorities. It should be a right, you know, you should have a right to health care. Um, and obviously, like, in the States and other places, you have to pay, like, medical insurance, and that could come out really expensive. I'm just so glad, you know, we don't live in America or places like that where we'd have to pay because, you know, we'd be bankrupted the amount of times I've been up to the hospital and to the doctors. So it is really good to have it for free. And then when you are an adult, you do have to pay for your prescriptions or if your doctor, you know, gives you some antibiotics or something or a curing to try, then you would have to pay for that. I mean, it's normally really cheap. It's like, I think standard is like £9.35 for almost everything. Like because I'm in full-time education still, I also get all of that for free. So like the, the Enstilar cream, which is really good, it's like £70 a bottle. So I'm so glad that I don't have to pay for that at the moment because otherwise that would be a lot of money. But yeah, it is really good having everything for free, essentially. I think that has really helped out. It can be a bit slow just because everyone's using it and it is obviously a free service. Sometimes it can be a bit slow waiting for an appointment. But at the end of the day it is really great and then there's also the gp we're assigned we're sort of assigned to two gps because they're kind of they're like partners together and we're like smack bang in the middle of both of them so we can't just go to either one but they have been so useless honestly like my mum's looking at getting us like moved to a different one just because like you'd sit there for like two hours on the phone waiting for them to pick up and suddenly they'd like hang up so you've got a call again and sit in the queue and it's just awful like one time i had a receptionist start reading my medical notes and she was like no i don't think you need to go to a doctor i've got a similar condition to you just like i need eye drops because i get dry eyes she was like just go to the shop and get some cheap ones i'm like no i don't want to pay but i can get them prescribed by a doctor i'm like who are you to make these medical judgments for me uh they're just rude and horrible so not the best experience with the gp but the local hospital, Addenbrooke, they're, they're amazing. You know, all the staff are so brilliant and I'm so thankful for all they've done. Yeah, they, it does sound like a very good environment. I know people have their ups and downs with healthcare professionals, but at the end of the day, you just need to find ones that are good for you and work well with you. Um, so yeah, thank you for sharing that. It seems like it's very similar to the Canadian healthcare system and since that ours is free as well. But yes, wait times are slow, <laughs> appointments still take forever. <laughs> Also, depending on the region that you live in, especially in Canada here. But let's talk a little bit about your initiatives and interests. So as part of the rheumatic disease community, we agree that awareness is very important. So can you talk a little bit about your experience raising awareness for the juvenile arthritis research group in the UK? Yeah, Josh, so they're brilliant. Um, they essentially just they they do loads of things to help out so they give out when i first got jia i signed up to like their thing i was like hey i've got arthritis and they sent me this box it's called a little box of hope and it just had loads of nice goodies and so obviously you know with arthritis you do need a bit of hope in your life and they also help to raise money and put money towards research and awareness and so in may i did a charity live stream a 12-hour live stream on my youtube channel and i just it helped obviously reach you know like hundreds of people so they all you know like just knowing that that many people have at least seen the word juvenile idiopathic arthritis they know it exists that's great and then i also managed to raise some money for it as well so that was also great 
Yeah, it sounds like you're doing like you're doing some great stuff. And then just quickly, because we did talk about social media platforms and how you raise awareness and make TikTok videos about arthritis. I wanted to talk also about drama because you talked a lot about how or you briefly mentioned that you are actively involved with entertainment and drama productions. So where did this passion come from and how do you take care of yourself when you're doing things that may be more physically taxing on your body? Well, I think in like year seven and year seven and eight, so when I was like 11 and 12 at my school, kind of like drama was compulsory. And I was like, oh, this is quite fun, actually. So then I took it for a GCSE option. So like I started doing it, you know, a couple of times a week. And that was kind of my option that I chose. And there was just a small class of us. And I was just like, wow, I love being able to entertain others. And also like when you're acting, you can be anyone or anything like you know it kind of it's almost a release to you know be taken out of this body and put into another body metaphorically speaking and so I think that is just a great way and then I started doing things like I signed up for an acting academy and we put a movie together and then I chose it for my A-level option in college and I've really been enjoying that we've really done our first performance we've got another one in January which I'm looking forward to and so, yeah, I think it is just that idea of being somebody else, being able to just temporarily forget about these conditions that are, you know, having a heavy impact on my life. And I'd love to end up the podcast episode with an advice segment. So what advice would you give to someone who is dealing with bullying and negative comments due to their condition? Just take that as an opportunity to educate them obviously if you're really upset just walk away you know prove that you're a bit the better person and i think just keep going it does get easier especially as you start getting more responsible and more you know older people around you as so even though it's only been a year i've certainly noticed that as i and my friends and those around me have matured the comments do start to go away and you always have like a bit of negativity in your life but you've just got to take hold of it embrace it and take it out into the form of awareness or just being yourself you know being happy like it does get better there's loads of treatments so just keep going thank you so much kyle for joining me on today's podcast episode so we started this episode talking about your diagnosis journey from going to physio then receiving a diagnosis and then you talked about your symptoms some medications for your jia and how it's really impacted your day-to-day life we talked about sort of the misconceptions of having JIA and psoriasis and your experience of getting your knees drained. We talked about the social components, including bullying, how you dealt with these negative comments. And then we also talked about your support system, your friends, your family, your relationship with your general practitioner and the differences between the healthcare system in England versus Canada some of your accommodations, honestly, lots of stuff. And I feel like we can talk forever. And finally, we end up the podcast episode talking about your live stream awareness event, as well as how you raise awareness on TikTok and how your passion for arts has played a role in your life. So everyone like, comment, subscribe. I'll link Kyle's social media channels down below and I'll see everyone in two weeks on Take a Pain Check. Thank you so much, Kyle. Bye. Thank you. Bye-bye.